Tom Paris. Rolaren. Oh yeah. Belana Torres. Chicote. Oh yeah. The guy from I'm gonna get you sucka and under siege. Oh yeah. It's time for us to start this whole Maki show. Hello and welcome to the Rules of Acquisition podcast where we're going through every single episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine, the best show to fix the meta plot between Rick Berman's Star Trek, but that's a that's a thing I'm going to get into later. <laughs> Maybe even podcast down the line. Between Rick Berman's Star Trek and what? Uh, and Gene Roddenberry's Grand Vision. And Gene Roddenberry. Oh, okay. Okay. I'm excited about this. Yeah, that's that's a chip on my shoulder, but... Anyways, enough about me. My name's Wade Bowen. With me, as always, is James Nolan. Hey, guys. And Hugh Crawford. Hello, gentlemen. How we doing? Doing good. Yeah. So, actually, we're doing something a little bit different today. Yes. We're talking about an episode called The Maquis. Yeah. One episode called The Maquis. <laughs> yeah. We're talking about The Maquis Part 1 and 2. Uh, we're going to be covering both episodes of this two-parter and this one episode of this podcast. So if you've been following along with us episode by episode and you've only watched Maquis Part 1, you might want to pause your podcast and go watch Part 2 because we're going to be discussing the whole enchilada today. Yeah, we're not going to split it up. The Maquis Part 1 aired on April 24th, 1994, and the INDB Description as, as follows. The destruction of a Cardassian ship leads Cisco, Ducat, and Cisco's old friend, Cal Hudson, to the fact that there are an unofficial war between the Maquis and the Cardassians. And then, part two aired May 1st, 1994. Cisco tries to resolve the Maquis crisis by preventing a war, freeing Gull Ducat, and offering the defected Hudson the chance to return. So, yeah, so it's called the Maquis, especially in that first episode description, it talks about this episode being all about the Maquis. They don't actually say the Maquis until the final scene. Yeah, I kind of like that. Oh, I think it's great. I, I got a basic question here. What the fuck does the word Maquis mean? I've never thought about that, and I, I don't... You know? Like, and all of the stuff that I've read, I've never read why, what it means. It's, it's such a unique term. You're right. You know, that's a really good question. Is it... Native American somehow? It sounds French. It, it sounds French, you're right. Yeah. And, you know. <gasps> All right. Oh, you looked it up? I looked it up. Oh. Oh, wow. The first hit is, is definitely Star Trek. Before you get to that, because it, it is interesting because, yes, the Maquis is something that is set up. We ask, is it Native American? Because it's set up in the next generation when they go to a French and Indian war planet or no. No. It was a Native American planet. Right. It? And there was a Native American re rebellion character in this, too, as well. I think that yeah. yes. that's supposed to visually tie those two yes. together. Oh, that guy and that guy I recognize from the next generation. But right. Oh, the actor, the head of the Maquis on the planet? Not the head of the Maquis, but there's the Jay Mascus Native American looking dude. Oh, yeah, yeah, That yeah. is in a lot of the Maquis. Oh, okay episodes of next generations <laughs> okay N not that not the wiry latino guy who is constantly angry no not that guy yeah yeah but i'm sorry yeah okay who's played a latino politician in every political show ever 
<laughs> if you watch Hail to the whatever Chief in Charge, the Gina Davis is a president, the Martin Sheen is a president, the Tony Goldwyn is a president. Every one of them has this guy playing some sort of Hispanic political leader. Huh. But I, I didn't mean to jump on you. You looked up the original meaning. They think they're awfully clever here. Uh, if I'm looking at Wikipedia. James, you want yeah, to Yeah, it is the uh, the French resistance fighters were named that during World War II. Yeah. Ooh. Yes, the bands that formed up to uh, to fight Vichy France and to fight. Uh, I'm familiar with the activities, and I assume that yeah, this Charles de Gaulle led the fighters, the the French fighters. They were called oh, the Maquis. Oh wow. Okay, so they're French. Res- mm-hmm. They're resistance fighters, much like we have. Kira was a resistance fighter for Bajor, but. It feels like a very different metaphor for the Maquis. By naming it the Star Trek Resistance Fighters, the Maquis, the writers are kind of tipping their hand as to how they actually feel about them as a movement. That's true. Whether or not they're righteous or not. I guess. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, because no self-righteous man can be against the, the French resistance. Right. <laughs> you know, like, right, right, right. Yeah, the French Revolution, yeah, you can have problems with. Yeah, not the French resistance, no. They're fine Nazis, man. You can't be pro-Nazi. Yeah. Yeah. And also, going back, when is, I, I went back and I watched a lot of Next Generation episodes where the Maquis are a thing, mm-hmm. but I didn't put the timeline together to figure out where the Maquis first show is mentioned. That I got. It's first mentioned in Next Generation, right? No, no, no. When she says the name, when Kira says the name in this episode, it's the first time that the word is ever used. Really? Yes. So the episode with Wesley Crusher and the Native American colonists uh, being... Journeys in. Journeys in. That had already happened. And that's a big pivotal like i don't know if it's a good but it's a tentpole episode for star trek it's a tentpole i watch it yeah. it's not a good episode wesley crusher <laughs> is such a whiny emo son of a bit like jerk yeah. it's not even like he's possessed he's just like comes in as a mopey he should be smoking clove cigarettes that whole episode because he's just an <laughs> asshole to his mom and he's like whatever i want and it that goes to a whole thing where my whole opinion about people give DS9 a lot of shit for killing, betraying the vision of what Star Trek is about. But if you're asking me, DS9 saves it. People also give Rick Berman a lot of shit for destroying Gene Roddenberry's dreams. People, oh, he, he messed up what Star Trek was about. That argument has a lot more pull to me than Deep Space Nine betrayed it, which I think is more popular now to say for some people to say DS9 is not re- what Star Trek well, did. Well, to be, to, be, to be honest, I'm pretty sure that they're lumping Deep Space. Like, the anti-Berman faction gets to have it all. Yeah. Because they get to they get to say Deep Space Nine was a part of Rick Berman's overall vision. Right. But we know that Berman was relatively hands-off. Right. This was a Michael Pillar sort of joint. So that's one of the things where I think we, being in the shit, of, of the Deep Space Nine Wars. <laughs> were you in the shit? We're in the shit. <laughs> we were in the Deep Space Nine shit. Um, that we, we are, I'm, I'm a little bit, we're a little bit more aware that Rick Berman was busy during a lot of this stuff. Right. But the whole Maquis is is actually a part of the greater meta mm. plot for the whole Star Trek franchise. Yeah. Especially at this time, which was under the guidance of Rick Berman. Rick Berman. Yeah, because this episode, if I'm, starts the Maquis, and then there are multiple episodes in the last season of TNG yes. that deal with the Maquis, right? Yeah, there's... And, and then the Voyager, the show that starts after Enterprise, the next generation ends, has half of its cat. Like, the Maquis are very pivotal to the first couple seasons of that show because half the cast are Maquis resistance fighters. Right. And then kind of just 
ruined the whole idea is kind of thrown out the window but yeah hey this ain't a voyager podcast no <laughs> yeah <laughs> you gotta go to your voyager podcast for those problems <laughs> yeah that ain't us man i don't want to do that <laughs> i mean there's some great episodes voyager fans don't don't attack me there's some good episodes but a good series uh yeah. i'm gonna withhold judgment there I love the doctor. Yes. <laughs> I, have, I have never seen an episode outside of the first season, so I wouldn't know. I've got a lot of complicated feelings about Voyager. <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah. That, okay. That's a, that's a whole yeah. supplemental podcast episode, at least. We can unpack that later. So, f- so from my understanding, this is the first time that the Maquis becomes a thing. And it was supposed to be... It was Rick Berman and Michael Pillar's vision that this would be the big bad going forward that is obvious to me now, four episodes later iris Stephen bear gets to win a fight and obviously the big bad it's sort of weird that you have these sort of i like that about deep space nine is that it has this really sort of super complicated story yeah because you have all this maquis shit and all this dominion shit but it's clear that Maybe it wasn't by like design, right? Yeah, like that. That maybe maybe they just got two big shits thrown together and they had to sort of unkink them. Yeah, and then they had to duke it out and natural selection won. (laughs) Yes, or maybe what? In my opinion, because that that goes into the my whole theory of why Deep Space Nine, instead of betraying the vision of Star Trek, is the one they chose the plot that actually saves it from what was set up Mm -hmm. because. The meta plot that Rick Berman set up was, and it also, you know what? I'm going to shit on Picard too. Fuck that guy. All of Cisco, some of Cisco's biggest problems without the Dominion are all John Luke Picard's fault. <laughs> One, he killed his wife. That's pretty. That's pretty big. <laughs> <laughs> and then two, the Maquis are directly the fault of John Luke Picard not doing his job. Yeah. So, uh, should we go into what the like the the sort of the hist- I guess the political history of this, to the best of our understanding, is that during the Cardassian Federation Treaty that stopped the war between Cardassia and the Federation, obviously Bajor was liberated, but there was also these colonies. I guess thinking like right. That, I mean, this is sort of a Israeli-Palestinian thing. There were these. It's co- an Israeli-Palestinian thing. It's also in the concept of Deep Space Nine. It's a frontier. Yeah. Wild West thing. There's people. This is like mm-hmm. people in Mexico before it was Texas, yeah, or vice versa. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. So you have like these people who say Federation civilians who went out to start a colony in a planet that is now, due to the treaty, is now a part of Cardassian space. So in the episode we're talking about Journey's End, the Enterprise has to come in and kick, ironically, Native Americans because they were Native American, 24th century Native American civilians who went out and started a na- Native American colony, and now feder- and now like you know with and, yeah. political Im- yeah political uh, symbolism intact. The enterprise is to go out there and kick them off of their colony right. to make room for Cardassians. And then it gets people talk shit about some people do about Deep Space Nine bringing religion into it and being all mystical, which. I don't think mo- most people liked it. They deal with the religion that Next Generation does not. But at the same time, in the last few season of Next Generation and that Journey's End episode, it gets full into Native American mysticism uh-huh. where the chief of this Valon planet or whatever says, oh, Picard, 
you were meant to become here because your ancestor was a French explorer explorer who killed in or who was responsible for Indian genocide. Really? Yeah, that's yeah. that's a thing they set up in there. Okay. <laughs> and then so part of why Picard can't kick them out, can't do his job because he has to he has to atone for his ancestors' sins. And not deport these Indians. Oh my God! These Native Americans. We've all been there, yeah, sure. where you've had to like yeah. atone for your ancestors' sins. It's pretty much impossible. But <laughs> right, right. And and you know, and I and I give Next Generation good props for Native American representation. That's fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But also in sci-fi, that's one of the biggest tropes. Yeah. Any person who's been who's waded through a science fiction anthology archive, like. Uh, my brother Lane, who was a slush power reader for a while. This is what I learned from him, actually. One of the things that he got so sick of seeing was the wise Native Americans teach these people the right way to do things. Yeah. Well, my biggest, the weirdest thing about how the Star Trek universe through the next generation, and I guess a little bit here in Deep Space Nine, and eventually in Voyager, treats Native American culture. It's as though somehow in that continuity of world history they did a better job of preserving native american culture than we actually have in reality yes and it's a little bit awkward it feels a little bit like a white guilt well like I mean, oh, now, see you're, you yeah it feels a lot we like didn't that. we didn't genocide you you got to fl- right yeah i just haven't watched journey's end recently how was like did it go into the treaty and how the treaty was rewritten due to picard in that episode yes Okay, Picard. so what is like your specifics? Well, uh, Admiral Necheyev, yes. the blonde lady that shows up in part two of the Maquis on DS9, she shows up in actually every Next Generation episode with the Maquis in it. She gives Picard in no uncertain terms he has to get rid of the, he has to get rid of these Native American colonies. And he can't do it because he's got to atone for his ancestors. So they write up a new treaty where they agree to live in Cardassian space in like a DMZ area. Yeah, they agree to forego. Actually, I believe they forego their, which actually, now that I think of it, doesn't match up with DS9. They forego their Federation citizenship to stay in the Cardassian space. They're their own unit. Oh, really? I think so. Oh, okay. But in any case, they're the reason that there's this new treaty set up for Federation citizens to live in Cardassian space, in the demilitarized zone. Interesting. Yes. All right. Okay. And then um, lower decks, there's a Bajoran that goes all the way back to that Wesley episode where he was in Starfleet and they lie. Mm-hmm. Lower decks episode, there's a Bajoran that dies at the end of it to sneak a Cardassian spy across the border, and that also deals with the demilitarized zone a little bit. Okay. That's a heavy episode. And then, then the penultimate episode of the Next Generation deals with the whole meta plot of the Maquis. And this is where this goes back to my whole Picard is a company man. Fuck Picard. He's not he's not the best captain. He's a company man who insists on he threatens to court martial Ro Lauren before doing anybody who acts of conscience by the end of by the end of the next generation. Any of the characters that act on their conscience are betraying the Federation, which mm-hmm. in a sense kind of betrays the whole ideals of Star Trek. Like, Wesley Crusher can't be in the Federation anymore. He has to go off. He disappoints Picard. Ro Lauren, who does everything she wants, she's doing, she takes this spy mission 
because she is indebted to Picard in the episode. It's like she loves him. It's a weird, there's a lot of weird sexual tension between Picard and Ray Lauren, like mm-hmm. to the point where at the final scene that she's playing, she's pretending to be a hooker and he's like her John. And she has to tell him that they're basically talking. It's, what? it's super intense. It's actually really great. <laughs> okay. I don't remember. It's that. all about, yeah, it's like the sexual tension between Jean-Luc Picard and Roe Lauren and you can tell the way they shot it when they when they have scenes together they're just like right close to each other like sex is oozing off of them it's actually pretty great I've seen that that episode like three times and I never picked up on that and it might just be because I'm a big dum-dum but like I'm not saying <laughs> I'm not saying I'm not saying it didn't happen I'm not trying to like I'm not arguing I'm just no there's one there's one scene when she gets back on board in his ready room and they just stand really close to each other. And then in the final scene where he's playing a John, she invites him to a table. She's pretending to be a hooker. She's like, yeah, I remember all she's like, Oh no, you need to put the money now down. This is the time where you'd be trying to set my price. And then she says she has qualms and he Picard, the company man to a fault is like sexy as fuck. But it's also like, Oh, if you don't do what I'm saying, I will court martial you so fast. Right. And I will fuck you over mm-hmm. because she says, I don't know if I can betray these people. These people are good people. They're doing the right thing. And he's like, doesn't matter. I have orders from the Federation. You got to do what I want or I will murder you. You can never come back to the Federation. Yeah, well. well, and see, we're talking a lot about next generation. So some people might not know what we're talking about, <laughs> but I'm going to go ahead and expand this conversation a little bit. I think that when I was watching it, the tension I felt between the two is that Picard hated Roe because he was such a company man. And Roe hated Picard because she he represented everything she hated. So I, I guess... No, the only reason she doesn't run off and join the Maquis earlier is because she feels like it's a weird, like, she he's a father. Yeah, him. there's a weird respect that's finally earned. That's the arc of... Because of, of that, first, that first episode where she's introduced, right? I don't right? know, man. Yeah, I, like I'm saying, I, I might have been a, be a big dum-dum not picking up on the, all the sexual tension. It's there. Yeah, okay, well, I, I need to see it with, you know, new new lenses now. I need to see it. <laughs> yeah. I need to revisit yeah. that. Even at the end of the episode, she holds a phaser to Riker because he's pretending to be a Bajoran. And also because it feels good. It feels good. And yeah. <laughs> Who doesn't want to shoot Riker? Right. But even when she shoots Riker and says, I'm not going back, he's like, what? And then he goes back and he confronts Picard and he's like, I'm on her side. And Picard is like, you know, what Patrick Stewart does so well is that kind of stone-faced Britishness, like, mm-hmm. no. And, like, Riker's like, nope, she's right. And Picard's like, she betrayed me. I can't I can't deal with this. And it ends, like, with him just stone-faced and hurt, kind of. It's actually pretty great. But that's Picard's fault. That's where Cisco is a better captain. Because in this, going back to this Maquis episode, Picard will fuck over people because he's following orders and he has to. Mm-hmm. Cisco will follow his conscience and say, Look, dude, you can still turn this around. I haven't told Starfleet that you're a traitor yet. Yeah. You can still atone. So, wait, before we go deeper into this, if you keep using the term meta, meta plot. Yeah. What Define what that is clearly to me. Okay, so by the end of Next Generation, the meta plot is that the Maquis, it's a threat to the Federation. This whole, we've set up this, like, the Federation is... Humans have evolved past their problems or whatever. Mm-hmm. But by the end of the next generation, it's the cracks are starting to show. And the cracks are there in Deep Space Nine, too, especially when they face the Dominion. 
which I don't want to, I will talk about later, but yeah, the Dominion is an outside force where they have to fight to preserve the ideals of the Federation from an outside force. It's easy to unify to fight that. It's harder to unify to fight an internal problem. Right. Well, the, the Maquis, it's about the ideals of the Federation getting a cancer and crumbling from within, mm-hmm. which is not the evolved proposition. It's like, oh, and then Cisco in episode two of the Maquis actually points it out, actually does a really good job of coloring this and says, the problem is Earth. Wait, 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 wait. Okay. But we'll wait to get there. No, no, no. We don't have to wait. I want to. This is the time to do this. Yeah, let's do it now. And I think that this is the sort of the moment of this show up to this point, maybe in episode two, Maki part two, pretty early on. And I like all of the dramatic writing, sort of locational stuff about it. But Cisco, after he just learned that his best friend and like his buddy at Academy and they rose up together and they've been promoted together, that that guy played by uh, the lead actor and I'm going to get you, sucker, (laughs) is he finds out that that guy has now joined the Maki and has thrown away his career and Cisco doesn't understand it, but he's trying to. So he gets back into the ship and after dealing with Admiral Necheyev and the sort of hardline Picard line that he that they've thrown out he i love it kira just kind of walks in and he just starts just chewing kira's head off who she didn't do anything and i think it's clear that she she knows that he's just venting but he goes on earth there is no poverty no crime no war you look out the window of starfleet headquarters and you see paradise well it's easy to be a saint in paradise but the maquis do not live in paradise out there on the demilitarized zone all the problems haven't been solved yet out there there are no saints just people angry scared determined people who are going to do whatever it takes to survive whether it means with the federation approval or not and i think and i looked into that and that was iris stephen bear says that he wrote something very similar in a TNG script uh, and it got cut and they cut it out because he wanted to show that kind of and I shit on Iris Stephen Bear a lot but this was like a this was a philosophical element that he wanted to add to the show that was stifled out of him on TNG and he got it into this script and it becomes sort of the sort of the operating procedure going on I think that this is what you're saying is that it fixes the meta meta plot of destruction from within is a cancer instead of sort of a growing problem like a of conflict makes us stronger you know working through our problems instead of eradicating our problems makes us more immune to bigger problems and I think that that you know Cisco is saying no like Life kind of sucks. We've solved a problem over there, but that doesn't mean the problem over here is solved. And we're trying to prescribe a mindset from what it's like in paradise to these people who aren't living that way. And I think that that is such an interesting, that is the sort of the starting off point for all of all of the great things that Deep Space Nine does to come. Like, right? Right. Okay. Well, it's a rebuke of it's a rebuke of that that vision of the future because from a narrative standpoint, you have to have conflict to have interesting stories. See, I don't even see it as that. Yeah, but that's why that's why this doesn't take place on Earth. That's why it takes place at an outpost on a frontier space. Yeah, but but it takes place on an outpost that still believes in those ideals and things are a little bit fuzzy but back on earth they've lost sight of how to deal with the reality when the rest of the world doesn't share your ideals which is on earth they all share the same ideals out here on the frontier you have the Cardassians to deal with you're friends mm-hmm. with them you're not you're not at war with them anymore but they will take advantage of your idealism right. so you can you want to preserve that idealism but you have to take 
pragmatic mm-hmm. steps. Pragmatic yeah. steps to preserve that idealism. I think we're saying the same thing, and I, maybe a rebuke is too strong of a word. And I and I think what he's and that's he's, where Descartes comes in. in, and they're actually gray. I mean, the characters. Yeah, yeah. They actually have to. He actually has to work <laughs> within a gray area with actual yeah. gray people. <laughs> so I don't know how ham-fisted that is. yeah i don't know how intentionally ham-fisted that is but yeah well i think that i mean i think that you can say that if there's a bumper sticker statement for deep space nine it's deep space nine sometimes shit is complicated yes and i think sometimes people level that out at the show as like a negative like that shit's just sprawling and too complicated like it was lost or something no i think that complication was its secret sauce mm-hmm. absolutely all of this shit being complicated and intricate you have religion and personal trauma you know like people who have served suffered a, a personal trauma and you have klingons and romulans and all the different shit you have ferengi and their ideology and you have all of these like hands in the pot and then you get the maquis and then you get the cardassian war and then you add the dominion and all the complications with the dominion and all of that means within that and how that all just just shit piles on everything and how this core group of people hold it together. On this one poor administrator. Right. Who's trying. <laughs> yes. He's really, he got a desk job. Right. He's the cop. Yes. He's like the cop who shot somebody and has been relegated to desk duty. He's been traumatized. Mm-hmm. He's not going to be floating throughout space adventuring. He wants a nice desk job. And if he can't handle the death job, he was going to take his son and go back to Earth. Right. He's basically he's put upon administrator that has to deal with all of this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And the whole my whole thing is the Maquis plot is that the Federation will crumble from within, whereas the plot in Deep Space Nine and what Cisco represents is like, no, the dream, the vision of the future is all still right. It's still stable. You can make it work, except... You sometimes have to bend in the face of reality. You have to make compromises, but the vision can hold. Whereas Picard is a hardliner, and, and at the end of Next Generation, it won't hold with that hardline kind yeah, of position. It ends here. But with Cisco making these compromises, you can't. But let me let me try and figure out. Yeah, let me try to figure out something. Like, so you do you think that do you do you think that Rick Berman himself hates the Maquis? No, I think. It's his idea. He's the one that shepherded it in. Uh-huh. It's all set up for Next Generation where he was the big, he was head honcho on the last season of Next Generation. Yeah, no, 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 no. I'm asking, do you think, not, not, does, does he like them as a story element? Does he like them as a, is he politically, emotionally on their side? He, because he named I think them that, the Maquis. I think that's his <laughs> yeah, hand. So, yeah, probably. Yeah, okay. So, I mean, like, it's hard for. Are you on their side? Am I on their side? Yeah. No, I think they're, I mean, I don't know. I think they're being intransigent, but I don't live their lives. I don't know. I'm generally for not starting war. I, I, I like the, the Quark scene, yeah. the great Quark scene in, in episode two, where he's talking to the Vulcan about like the, the, the cost of peace. We've talked a lot about like setting up the Maquis. Maybe we should talk about those episodes now. <laughs> that could transition well to it. Yeah, yeah, we can do it. Um, I think that the Maquis are a thing that I, I look at it as that if I was a writer in this room, I would look at it as this is a thing that happens in third world country border peace issues that Che Guevara's, you know, rise up and lead these sort of counter revolutions. And sometimes that pulls in people who you hear about in Turkey all of the time, military leaders change to become military 
coup leaders. So that happens like all the time. So I, that I think is just from a story element, they're just adding that in here. I do think that you are supposed to find by making them Native American, by obviously extending them into the cast, I think that you're supposed to like them. But I think that the show never really, I think the show is bold for never really losing focus of the Federation position. And, you know, it never like, that Riker, you said Riker falls in love with them, but still that episode is about Picard. Oh yeah, Riker doesn't fall, it, Riker respects Ray Lawrence trying to do the right thing because yeah. she's mm-hmm. she's following her conscience and he recognizes that. Yeah. And that's, that's what the ideals of the Federation are supposed to enable you to do, is follow your conscience and act like a moral person. Whereas... Picard just gets hung up on following the rules, and then he loses track of that. Yeah. And I mean, that's that's an interesting thing, is what happens when following the edicts of the state. Well, we all live into a, like, under our, we get to talk lofty about our Bill of Rights here in America, and we live under the Constitution, you know, but the issues always come, like, what happens when the embracing of our rights that's afforded us by our Constitution starts damaging the state that props up the constitution oh oh if we want to that allows that if we want to start talking about this episode (laughs) yeah i have a very applicable point to that when we get to the end of episode one okay well we can i think we can just give a brief overview of what happened yeah we should talk about it the bok choy blows up at the beginning (laughs) 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 they blow up bok choy bok nor bok nor is a Cardassian ship that gets blown up by a maquis guy though first we do spend time, like I think we may mention briefly here for a second, we talked before about this is a two-parter episode where it feels like a one episode, except they take the time to have the scenes to explore the things that we'd like them to explore. Yeah. Like way back in that episode, Sanctuary with the oatmeal face space Mormons, mm-hmm. it felt like they had all these character scenes that just depleted, that didn't address the theme of the episode. Mm-hmm. But if they'd taken it to make a two-parter, it might have worked. Yeah. It feels like this is an episode where they decided, they you know took what, their time let's take the time, just make it two episodes. Mm-hmm. And it works, I think. You have a, a back and forth conversation about dating between Dax and Kira. Right. You have... First mention of the uh, Galamite guy with, with a visible brain. Yes. Who I'm pretty sure shows up throughout the whole series. Not shows up, is mentioned. As a former lover of Dax. You never see him. Well, I think I'm glad you brought up that particular scene because that's this sort of one-off character work that I've been craving from these two characters the entire series. Yes. And the fact that they had a story to tell they had two episodes to tell one story. It afforded them moments like that, and it was really nice. It was, yeah. Yeah, I, f- I also feel like the next scene, the one with uh, where you first meet Cal Hudson, I remember saying in episode two or three, I would like it to be addressed on why Cisco does it why Cisco would never fuck Jedzia Dax <laughs> yeah. and they actually have that like they actually have that conversation with Cal where yeah. Cal's like would you, so like like they talked about it yeah and made it clear sort of where the lines are there and so yeah yeah the bok choy blows up they bring in Cal Hudson who is also a Federation commander he's basically the exact same as Cisco except for slight differences hey hey, hey there Hey, hey, I'm out. I'm sorry, not to, <laughs> come on. Now. No, I mean, they're not wait not, not to say that they look let's, exactly like. I'm not being racist. He's wait, wait. Not all black. Hey, Hugh, Cap- Hugh, Hugh. Wade is just saying that he's clean and well spoken. <laughs> What's the problem? No, no, that's not what I'm <laughs> saying. I'm saying he's. Oh man. <laughs> Uh, okay how about this okay. Of, no no i'm just saying some of my best friends are black oh shit right <laughs> so, well no, some of my best a, friends are, are captains out in the middle of the woods they've so. had similar career trajectories. He's, he's a black commander who has a dead wife right. and 
knows Dax from back in the day. Right. And him and Cisco were best friends. The only difference between in their careers and life in broad strokes is that he has a dead wife, but he doesn't have a son he has to raise. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Cal Hudson was married to Gretchen. Benjamin Cisco was married to Jennifer and had Jake Cisco. Yeah. And he wears the old school TNG uniform. Well, I think a, a part of this is Cisco finds out that his buddy is in the shit mm. and learns the scale of. Before we get too far, I will I will say to defend the, to defend what what Wade was saying there. Well, that's what I was doing too. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, no, sorry. They set him up. Is you know Cisco sees his friend has gone down this path and he basically is afforded an opportunity to do the same, but doesn't. Mm -hmm. And the fact that they have similar career backgrounds and family lifestyle, it sort of highlights the path that he could have taken. Yeah. He's one of two Cisco doppelgangers in this, in this episode. The other, I believe is Gul Dukat. Oh, (laughs) most definitely. Oh, right. (laughs) Well, yeah. Oh yeah. This is a Gul Dukat episode. Yeah. It's great. Are we are we at the introduction yeah. of Gold Dukat? Yeah, I'd say we go there because that's a good. Yeah, I it's my so. favorite yeah, yeah. introduction. Uh, like of all of the things, I mean, and I just love Gold Dukat. Oh my god, how he's yeah. introduced in this episode is so amazing. So it's like so sinister, but and it's like, so sinister. So and he, the writers are able to utilize the character revelations that you're going to get this new, more interesting Gold Dukat. Up until this point, he's been a pretty two-dimensional villain. Mm-hmm. And now with this, like they're going to make him a much more developed character and it's it's pretty amazing. And they do this in this interesting way where he walks, Cisco walks into his apartment looking for Jake. Gold Dukat, who's sitting on his couch, just looks at you, you know, says Jake's not here. Gold Dukat is like, what did you do with my son? And like the look on Gold Dukat's face. Uh, Cisco is like, what the, where the fuck is my son? What'd you do? Yeah, yeah. Cisco says, what the fuck did you do with my son? And the look on Gold Dukat's face is so pure. Like, who... Who do you think I am? I'm not taking your fucking son. He's just not here. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I'm like, but you wound me. Yes. Yeah, but like, you, you clearly broke into my like place to tell like where <laughs> yes. I live yes. to let me know that I'm not truly safe ever. Uh-huh. But then you have yeah. the nerve to act hurt whenever he takes the next logical step to imply that it, something has happened to his son. It's beautiful. It's just beautiful. Yes. Mark, uh, how do you pronounce his last name? Is it Alamo? Alamo. Alamo. He or Alamo. He is what he is. He stands out in that he works within the Cardassian makeup like nobody else on the show. Mm-hmm. Some of the stuff that he does with his eyes, mm-hmm. without moving his head, it's clear that some of the other actors who are playing Cardassians are visibly uncomfortable. You know. Yes. And he in the act- makeup and the upholstery. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and he actually wears it like it is his natural skin. The way he moves, the way he looks, the way he uses all of it. He just seems the most natural Cardassian. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's one of the reasons why his character works so well. Yeah. And it's also that amazing fucking neck, man. He's yeah, neck. his neck is so, so amazing. The makeup artists agree with me. Yeah. He works so well in the costume. That there's two things I noticed in this, because there's just, you get a lot of gold to cut. One, there's a scene in the first episode where they're him and Cisco are walking down the promenade, and I swear, Goldukat's suit is falling off, like the suit broke. <laughs> yeah, no, I noticed that a few times where... And I was like, he still looks like a boss. <laughs> yeah, 
You see it down at the left corner of his costume just kind of like falling out. Yeah. <laughs> I did not notice that. Yeah, I noticed it a couple times. It's clearly like like 20 seconds after they called cut, his whole chest plate fell off. Of him. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, I don't know why they couldn't prop it up or whatever, but it was like, it, you could tell. But um, also, he wears these things that are these boots that are supposed to look like they're made out of some sort of hard rock like substance, but they're clearly just made out of like foam. quilted quilted <laughs> foam or something and they look comfy he looks like he's in uggs <laughs> they are actually- and i don't think you're supposed to but he still makes it look he still he still makes it look boss <laughs> so um so anyway so uh, marco Lime, uh, marco limo uh gold Ducat tells benjamin cisco that he has that there's some there's shit going on in the colonies and he's trying to clear cardassia's name and he wants because he needs to cisco to know that your federation is killing cardassians or federation colonists are killing cardassians so him and cisco go out there right yeah yeah it's like well how do you know it was like well because yeah he's something like mm. i already know the truth like what's the truth of the matter like oh i know that i already know it's like which is a very cardassian kind of concept yes yeah. but yeah. i need you to see it to believe me is but well, yeah and the truth is whatever out. i say it is according mm-hmm. to cardassian you know it's whatever the state says yeah but uh goldicott who goes out there and he's clearly out of the loop on some of the actual actions that are being taken place there too so pretty early on you get the idea that goldicott is not fully briefed that gold the gold Ducat's character in this episode is not a stand-in for central command is that what they call it yeah right yeah. uh like of the cardassians that that gold Ducat in some ways is a man alone or just as much out of the loop as cisco is about what's going on in the dmz and so they go down there to visit right yeah they go in and they they fly Ducat takes them to the dmz they watch an Atari game on the console. <laughs> that was one of the biggest weaknesses of the whole. It's, it, it, you yeah. know. Well, they, they only got so much money, Hugh. <laughs> I know. I think those actors worked that scene, though. They did. They worked it as best they could. Yeah. I, yeah, they did as best they could with the budget. But yeah, you're right. But yeah. <laughs> they watched a video game. Because he goes in and then he's like, oh, you're not going to light up my controls. And then Cisco's like, no, because I know that. I know you Cardassians like brain run your kids through fucking MK Ultra to <laughs> get photographic <laughs> memories, and he's like, oh, "Okay, mm-hmm. fine, whatever." You got me there. <laughs> he's like, "The Cardassian education system is very good." And like, yeah, okay. And then they see the ships, the Cardassian, the Wild Wild West shootout in the DMZ, and none of them are responding to their hails. Mm-hmm. And then Goldicott is like, "Arm the torpedoes and shoot those guys." And Cisco starts to say something, and then he's like. Oh, I already know exactly how your shit works. Ours are much better. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we have we have the best scout ships <laughs> in the un, in the quadrant. Amazing. I think that, that 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 was an interesting sort of way to set up Ducat as this sort of bragging asshole yeah. about how like sort of clever he is. That when he's ultimately sort of left very unclever, uh, you know, out of his element, that you get to see that that sort of tenaciousness to get back on in the know. Like, and that's a sort of that that thing that I like that you know he's so isolated by the end of this episode. Well, by the end of this episode and part of next episode, that he's totally isolated and he realizes he doesn't have any support from Cardassia or anything. So just like the look of trying to claw his way back is so well, can we, it's so core to that character that where they go from there. I don't under, quite understand why he fell out of favor with Central Command. Is it simply just because he got caught? Like if he just went out there and stopped? I think that because they need a scapegoat. I know. I understood that he was a convenient scapegoat in the minute. But why was he starting off as a man alone? 
I think because he's the loser of, they look at him as the loser of Bajor. Right. He even brings up later, like, they hold it against me. I, I, sh- I should have killed every Bajoran before I left Deep Space Nine, and they hold that against me. Yeah. Oh, well, I guess I can't fix that now. But he doesn't have remorse for, he doesn't wish, he's not glad that he didn't kill every Bajoran. He's just like, oh, well, I can't, I can't fix that problem now. I already made that mistake. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's not—he's—he's he's not a moral creature. He's a creature of the Carda- you know, of the Cardassian command. So I, uh, but I think that that's. And we learn later he has a soft spot for some Bajoran. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, but that's a thing that I think that there's a that you start seeing in this is that that it seems like that the central command has just started to turn, and now they're running these more covert operations. He was aware of them funding the Circle, but now he's not aware of them funding the colonists. And it just seems like that maybe, and I think that you meet some very pivotal characters about how their intelligence agency is set up, maybe next week, right? Yeah, oh, and yeah, in The Wire, you definitely do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so, yes, yeah. Meanwhile, back on Deep Space Nine, Court Clooney is trying to sex up a Vulcan. Okay. Can we say, can we sidebar about Vulcans and Maki real quick? Yes. I mean, I know that Tuvok for I don't want to talk about Tuvok. Like, let's just talk about this lady. Oh, yeah, what's her name? Her name is Sakona. <laughs> oh, Sakona. Yeah. So you have Sakona. Like, is it? Would Vulcans be in this Maki bullshit? I think that that's a bridge too far. Quark even calls her out on it a little bit, and that's part of. Yeah, that's part right. of yeah, that. Yeah, but I mean, I like you mean two Vulcan. I mean, oh, I guess with Tuvok, he's got an excuse. He's a covert agent. But like you meet, like there's Vulcans in the Maquis. Oh, was he a Maquis in Voyager? Yeah, he was. Oh, yeah, but he was a covert agent. He was infiltrating the Maquis. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Well, I know he oh. show, he shows up. Tuvok is in Deep Space Nine. It's just in a mirror. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. No, I'm sorry. I was talking. <laughs> I was talking about the Maquis in general. But there is Vulcans in the Maquis, and so I just don't understand their logic. Like, literally, their logic. There. Why would they be a part of? It seems like they are the caretakers of the Federation. All of them are, and I don't think that what they're doing, like the Maquis or not, it's pretty. It's pretty short sighted. Well, they're trying to provoke a war with Cardassia, even okay. even for. I have an answer for, for this. whatever reason. I have a brief answer for this. And I think what it is, is that it just shows the flaw. Like you have a whole system belief system that adheres to logic, but what is considered logical is still a relatively subjective thing. And just like any belief system, it can be bent how you would like it to be bent. And I think that's mm-hmm. the case here. And whenever Quark unpacks her logic later, and quite br- brilliantly, mm-hmm. he kind of illustrates that, like, what what you're bringing up. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, the first thing you see whenever you see a, that a, a Vulcan is essentially a terrorist, you're like, that is the most illogical, it feels like a false <laughs> step. Yeah. And you're talking about the Vulcans being the caretakers of the Federation. Really, up in 1994, like the first, you know, week in May in 1994, it wasn't really canon that they were so much because first contact comes out in 96. That's when you find out. Yeah, that's true. Uh, how in- instrumental they were into Earth's feder- uh, you know, Federation. And then, of course, Enterprise really expands on how. Really unpacks Vulcans. Yeah. Basically, Vulcans were human humanity's babysitters <laughs> right. for a long time. <laughs> so I think in, in 1993, you write in a Vulcan Maquis because it's a little bit of fan service. Yeah. And maybe it doesn't fit that well. 
but hey, you have one of your smart characters bring that up, and that fixes that. Yeah, yeah, I guess. Yeah, so. Quark even says, "Whoa, whoa, 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 whoa! You're a gun runner. You're like no Vulcan I've ever known." <laughs> yeah, exactly. But before we well, get there, we get a whole seduction scene with Quark. Oh yeah, the George Clooney of Ferengi. <laughs> <laughs> and we've already had him in that Casablanca episode do it badly. He almost gets her. He does. He almost gets her too. Hey man, he almost got me, man. I, I thought, <laughs> and, it, and it sets up great what Ferengi like romance is like. Oh, a business you do mix Ferengi mix business with pleasure. Trying to fuck somebody is the same thing as trying to get a business negotiation. And it, it really this this episode does it so well. I thought. But mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe you disagree. No, no, no. I think Quark is Quark is very well handled. I think the the seduction scene is a little long, yeah. but I think it pays off in the later scene with Sakona. Maybe. I mean, I think yeah. you know because Sakona becomes pivotal in unra- unraveling the whole plot, and Quark you know has this sort of not just that why are you in this that makes no sense, but also going back to another one, Quark is able to like. Uh, Iris Stephen Bear wrote that episode, the second episode. So it goes back to my is is Iris Stephen Bear a crypto libertarian? Right. Is he goes into this sort of the price of peace negotiation, like you know, as sort of a negotiation of peace, and peace comes at a cost, so you don't want to pay too much for it, uh, yeah. and sort of this whole sort of thing that's unpacked. That looking at everything is sort of business strategy and financial strategy, which does. I mean, I think like the whole thing with libertarianism is it gets you like 60% there. And I was like, I don't think he's on the wrong path. I don't think it's, I don't think it's a totally right. I'm not a libertarian at all. I, 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 I find them kind of heinous, but I find them also like, <laughs> Oh, I know, six, I know you where you stand. <laughs> I find them heinous, but I find them like 75% right. It's just the 25% where they go. Oh, so wrong. It, where it all goes to shit. But that I think that that sort of, he's given the best case of that argument of how to approach things that this isn't about a war. This isn't about like, I think because the Maquis are just kind of trying to provoke things to see, to change the status quo. And then hopefully they'll succeed once the status quo is upturned. That's the way, that's sort of a rules for radicals kind of thing. Just start fires and maybe, maybe you'll, at the end, once once the fire's put out, you'll be in a better position. And I think that Quark handily sort of disputes that with not the logic of a Vulcan, but the logic of a Ferengi. And yes, I loved I loved all of that. <laughs> yeah, she really, like, the Vulcan really, like, oh, the rules of acquisition, she's really into the whole rules because she thinks it's logical, and he's like... Yes. Oh, yeah, you know, it's it's something to, uh, you know, preserve the fairness and honesty for both. Well, for most, anyways. Hmm. <laughs> you know, like, uh, mostly for the Ferengi side of it, but yeah, oh, it's a, it's, a, it's a rules for establishing fair dealings yes. for me to get the bigger failure deal. But also... Most importantly, in the seduction scene, we get the 214th rule of acquisition, <laughs> which is never begin a business negotiation on an empty stomach. Mm-hmm. So always makes. Yeah. And then we get the third one. If, did we get the third one later? Oh, do we? Oh, we do. I didn't write that one down. Shit. Oh, I think it's never pay more for an acquisition than you have to. Yeah. That's right. I, I know it because it's, it was in that scene that I was talking about. Yeah. Where he goes, you know, you shouldn't pay more for this war than you have to. You're right. Okay. Number three, never pay more for an acquisition than you have to. The, the early ones are going to be more platitudinous and broad than the later ones. <laughs> well, that one's a good one. Like, the, yes. <laughs> 214th is just so they can try to. That's just to set up like he's trying to fuck her. 
Yeah, always eat before you fuck, but not too much or you get bloated. <laughs> All right, Dan Savage. So, okay. Um, uh, so it turns out that Cisco goes and where are we at on this? Cal Hudson's a Maki. <laughs> yeah. He's helping the Maki. They go back to <laughs> they go back to the Balon 4 or one of the Balon colonies, mm-hmm. which is where the Native American colonies were in uh Jersey and whatever. And then you have Golovec who captured the 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 guy that blew up the bok choy it was a um, guy from Norway William Patrick Samuels lived on Volan 2 for 20 years had two girls blah 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 and it, oh, this brings me back to another thing I wanted to bring up this is like a western anything but also in our modern context the treaty between Cardassia and the Federation you could argue it's like the treaty some people would argue it's like the treaty we made with Iran. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, like yeah. we're trying to act in good faith, but they're going to fuck us over. No, I think that, that so- that's definitely. I, th- I mean, I think you you can definitely see that where everybody who's got a skin in the game in the. I mean, treaties are a leap of faith. Right. You know, you have to say, let's look at the Iran one because it's it's the newest one and it's fresh in our minds. Like you know, these treaties are always leaps of faith because you have to trust the Iranians to, <laughs> to keep up their end of the bargain. To keep up their end of their bargain, and then you don't want to look like a dumb shit. Right. And if you know, and so obviously there are like Kira voices like the Cardassians. You don't know them. She gives her whole. I lived with them for twenty six years. She plays the Holocaust card again on Cisco, where she's like, "I didn't choose to live with them." And, and Cisco's whole point is, "Yes, but we made a treaty, and at some point we're just gonna have to just sit down, shut up, and trust right. that what's gonna yeah. happen is right." They chose to take this treaty. Yeah, she's like I didn't choose. Well, they did, and they had to <laughs> suck it up. And Bajor is. Doesn't have a problem. Like Bajor is out of this. Yeah, we said up before Bajor, you can you keep stay cool, Bajor. It's not your problem. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, but yeah, but her hatred and distrust of Cardassians are uh, founded. Definitely comes through. Yeah, yeah, no, no, founded. But I think, but that's her voice. So yeah, they set up an Iran treaty, but also, sorry, not not the whole middle. The Middle East is not all the same. The Iran is very different from ISIS. Don't get me wrong, mm-hmm. but they get William Patrick Samuels to record an ISIS video. Yes, they do. Sorry. Oh, I, I man. Went, it was. I'm sorry I went there. I apologize I went there. I am <laughs> so sorry. But that's kind of what it is. Like, he's like, yeah, I've been very well treated, and then they kill him. They don't cut it, you know, but. But, yeah. <laughs> Well, that was some, that was some, I apologize. That, that's some Vladimir Putin type shit where they, he accidentally somehow yeah. ended up, was able to kill himself in his own cell. Mm-hmm. I want yeah. to tell that it happens in America too. Yes, it does. But anyway. Yeah, no. So, they didn't feed him polonium or anything. Like and that. I like that. And I like that later on to call Dukat is like, no, I hate that shit. You don't kill it. You know, and I love that. <laughs> yeah. You're just giving away your advantage just now. Gold expressing a moral, expressing a, what could be considered a moral deci- decision or a moral sort of p- opinion based off of, you know, Cardassian yeah, thinking. But it's not yeah. moral at all. It's like, yeah. you're just giving away your advantage. Yeah. Why kill a guy? You could use them still. Mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> I want to be on your side, Goldicott, but you're still yeah. morally an evil person. Right. He's like, you don't want him to end up a hashtag. What are you doing? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so where where are we? Where? Well, we're getting to the end of episode one where everybody jumps in their thing and they go after these because they Goldicott got stole 
Right. <laughs> oh, that's right. Sakona, the Vulcan, jumps in, and she needs to get. She's she's buying weapons from Quark. Yeah, and Quark, when he finds out that she's buying weapons, is like, whoa, 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 whoa! And you're not like any Vulcan I ever knew. She steals Gold Ducat when they get back, and they can't find him. Gold Ducat got stole. Gold Ducat is stole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So Cisco's got to like crack some heads and find out who has them, where they are. So he gets his two hardest homies, <laughs> Dax and Kira Nuri, to hop in a and a runabout. Uh-huh. And then they go, they go after. Oh yeah, when he gets stole, and this is going back to again, I'm going to bring up a sensitive issue that I'm going to apologize for. This is like a 9/11 thing because <laughs> Goldcott gets stole. Odo is like, if you just let me enact the Patriot Act, I could have prevented this from happening. Yes. Uh, yeah. And then Kira's like, no, we're not going to give up our you, rights. You get the feeling that, no, Odo totally went, would be voting for Trump. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, yeah. Yeah, Odo is a law and order candidate. Or he is a law and order voter. Yeah, it's like, if, if you would let me do it, if you would sign the Patriot Act and gotten rid of all these people's rights, we wouldn't have this problem. And then Kira's like, it would just be just like when the Cardassians were here. And then he's, well, at least the trains ran on time. Yeah, that's true. I gotta say, that scene, I bought everything, like, everything Odo said in that scene I buy from Odo, there's a weird off flavor in that scene. It's before Odo says all that. What prompts him to say it is that O'Brien accuses him of being a shitty security chief. <laughs> and I was like, what was that weird bit of shade? He was like, you're the security chief around here, Roto. And I was like, O'Brien, what the fuck? That that doesn't feel like that character, you know? O'Brien has to go has had to go off like two or three episodes before this one and do security shit for the Armageddon game. Yeah, yeah. And then that episode where they made a replicant of him. So he's probably a little bit bitter that he had to kill his replicant and that guy fucked his wife. <laughs> so he's probably yeah. Maybe he thinks that Odo should have gone instead. I feel of him. I feel I that know. when Nechayev is suggesting, are you sure you wouldn't want a Federation security officer around here? Her point is, it'd be easier to tell security-based stories if a Federation officer was the main character instead of a Bajoran squishy man. Yeah, right. Because it doesn't make sense to have him doing all of those things, like the Armageddon game and shit. So right. And then her 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 saying that this is just my opinion. Also goes back to the problem with the Federation that they don't trust anybody else to be grown ups. That's true. That's a, that is a true that is a true level against them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's definitely, and I'm sure that that shades how they treat the Klingons, how they treat the Cardassians. Oh, most yeah. definitely how they treat the Klingons. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, you're right. They they are atrociously condescending. They'll treat the Cardassians like grown ups because they have to. But yeah, no, just specifically Picard. But they are atrociously condescending. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like yeah, and I think you could even. I mean, heck. Trouble with Tribbles. I mean, it goes all the way back. Yes. Yes. It goes. I mean, I think the Federation's condescending, you know, where the might is right Uh stance can go be traced back all the way to the original series. Yes. Yes. Yeah. You're probably right on that. Yeah. Hey, maybe I don't like the Federation. I'm just now thinking maybe (laughs) I'd come to the dark side. You know, at this point, I don't think I do. But. You know what? I like it later on, thanks to Benjamin Sisko. Here's what I think. I'm going to I'm going to use of I can't remember. Is this the Al Franken use this heuristic? Um, conservatives love their country like toddlers love their parents. 
<laughs> and Democrats love their, or, you know, liberals love their country like grownups love their parents. And I think that that might be like sort of a, a good way of my relationship with the Federation is that, you know, when you first start watching it, you're like, everything is so great about it. Yeah. Everything is so clean. And they can, you know, it's post scarcity and everything yeah. it's like that sounds great. And if everybody just followed the rules that they set up, it worked great. <laughs> yeah. They, the Federation's got no problems. The Federation doesn't, mm-hmm. you know, everything works out like because they're all noble people. And then, you know, you can this show looks at the Federation as a grown up looks at his parents, you know, where he's like, no, I'm pretty sure my dad was fucking around on my mom. You know, like, you know, you see like these <laughs> right. these sort of. Yeah, he's still a good man. Yeah, he's still know, my like, dad and I don't want another dad. Still my dad. I still love him. Yeah. And I agree with everything that he taught me. Mm. But you know what? He didn't get everything right. He still says racist things in front of my kids and that bothers me. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, I don't have kids, so I can't speak to that exact example, but... Yes. Yes. <laughs> but he tries, and he says less of them each time he's around them. No, but... Um, <laughs> uh, no, and I think that... No, I think that that's... That's helpful. I think that I, that's the way I view the Federation right now. Is No, they, they fuck... Yeah. They can fuck some shit up. And that's the end of the first part of the Maquis. But then... The second part's pretty easy, because it's all just kind of unraveling. Yeah, it's... it's and we've dealt with we've dealt with a lot of this. We've dealt with a lot of this. It's just basically a handful of scenes. We've dealt with it a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, really, the second part is just the end of the second act and all of the third act of this one story. Mm-hmm. Right. And it sets up... Well, talking about the Federation, like, Cisco still believes in the Federation, even with, like, the example you just gave is perfect. Like, all its faults... He's not going to tell dad yet that Cal went off and, and is like is acting out of, you know, he, he's not going to tell the Fed parents that Cal is going off and doing shit that he shouldn't be mm-hmm. doing in high school. He's getting drunk and fighting with, with terrorists <laughs> and whatnot. He's like, hey, man, just come back, sneak back in the house. I won't tell dad that you snuck out. Just it'll still be cool. We can still fix this, man. Mm-hmm. And then Cal is like, no, man, I'm never coming home. I'm 18. Mm-hmm. And he just runs off. And then Cisco is like, no, I have your uniform here. Just put the uniform back on, which is a metaphor that lasts through the series. So the, the, the main thrust of the second episode is they get Galdicott back, and then Cisco has to try to convince his friend to come back because he hasn't told on him. He hasn't tattletale. He's not a tattletale. <laughs> and his friend leaves and escapes and Cisco basically lets him get away because he didn't kill him because he obviously he could have killed him right at the end and yeah. Gold Ducat's yelling at him to kill him mm-hmm. and there's a little bit of a callback to an earlier scene when Gold Ducat sized Cisco up for somebody who has no weakness and no feeling and uh, turns out of course he does because he's human and Gold Ducat really doesn't know shit about humanity <laughs> and Basically, we're left with, you know, the Maquis is in the wind. And how, now how, what wasn't clear to me was how, how was uh, Goldicott brought back into the fold with Central Command? He's, he knew that the, he had information on them, so. Yeah, and he actually tells. Oh, can we go back to the episode, the, the scene between when they bring Goldicott back? Sure. And then Goldicott is like, oh, mm-hmm. no. And they're talking about Cardassian trials. I was like, what is what is this thing with Cardassian trials? Like, well, we never, we always tried a guilty. They're always found guilty. And he's like, what's the point in that? It's like, oh, the Cardassians love to see justice done. They love the uh, the theater of it. We never make mistakes. And then immediately, Cisco calls him out 
and says, "Well, I remember he, that's where he said, well, that's funny because you were going to be brought back to be tried. Yeah. Yeah. It's when they, he pulls the, why bother with the trials? Like, well, because the people demand it. They find it comforting. Yeah. <laughs> like, Cardassians uh, don't make mistakes. And then immediately he's like, oh, 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 that's funny that they don't mis- make mistakes because they said that you're the one that was shipping weapons to the Cardassians. He's like, <laughs> and then you just see, like, Goldicott just, just like, oh, shit, I just got busted. Turn grayer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. He turns into, like, a three-week-old dog turd <laughs> with a white finish on it. He went really ashy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, oh, uh, uh, well, okay, um, I guess I was misinformed. Yeah, the whole thing about the, the trial is also used for an episode, I think two episodes from now, the Tribunal episode, which is about someone on a Cardassian trial, on trial against the Cardassians. I think we got that like two episodes from now. And that was inspired by that line about why how Cardassians have trials. Well, yeah, and then we had the chain of command next generation. There are four lights. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was interrogate, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then the cut thanks Cisco and Cisco's like, eh, I'm sure you would have done the same for me. It's <laughs> like, of course he wouldn't have, but you know, yeah. and Cisco and the kind of like, okay, sure. He sits with it. But that in telling Dukat that Dukat now is working actively to work against whatever Central Command wants. Right. Yeah. Then they go back to find the Cardassian weapon smugglers, the Zeppelites. The Zeppelites are running Cardassian guns and they're fish faced aliens. And then you have another great scene with Dukat in a runabout when they're like, fuck you, Federation, we're not stopping, you can't search us. And then Gold Dukat gets in there and is like, I am Gold Dukat, leader of the Second Order. And then you just see those guys just shit their pants. Uh, yeah, it, that it's showing that... Ca- yeah, stop counting, stop, stop counting. Because he's like, I'm going to count the three, <laughs> one, you know, like, or whatever number it is. And they're like, stop counting, stop counting, fine, fine. It's great. It, yeah, it's uh, it's good, and it, it, you get to see that Dukat is actually working. Like that, that was sort of the turn. Is that now Dukat is sort of working to, to give up all of that stuff, working with Cisco. So you have this sort of. I like that you you finally have a scene or an episode where Cisco and Dukat are working on the same side, which you see quite a bit over the course of the show. Yeah, yeah. Where for, you know, for Duk- being like such a big bad, like mm-hmm. I mean, that's just why he's. One of the best villains yeah, yeah. in television mm-hmm. ever. Yeah. And I don't even say that with qualms. <laughs> like, he's no, no, no. Takata is, is a rarity in villains. You, you don't mm-hmm. generally see someone spent is made so complicated. But he's actually helping and he actually gives out vital information. He figures out probably where the weapons depot is. Where, I mean, like, Dukat stopped a war yeah. because this was definitely going to be a war. This was definitely going to nullify the treaty, which is what both Cardassia and the Maquis want at this point. I mean, I think you have to say if the Maquis had a goal, like a if they have a whiteboard somewhere and like something's written on top of it, it has to be to nullify the treaty and to push the Federation into a war with Cardassia. And the fact that, that Cisco, that Dukat worked. Yeah, well, I don't know if Central Command even wants a war. They just want to push it to the limit to get all they can out of. Well, that's why they throw Dukat under the bus. They're like, yeah. Legate Parm or whatever comes in there and like, oh, it's his fault. And then that's when Cisco's like, well, I know that the central command is behind it because they threw him under the bus. Yeah, by the way, if you're ever at a, if you're ever at a restaurant that has a Legate Parm on the menu, totally order it. It's the best. Okay. <laughs> really? I just feel like it would be kind of gray and bland, but. I don't know. Mm. I've never had yamak sauce. So if it's ma- if it's made well, yes. <laughs> what were you gonna say here? Well, one of the things I don't I don't understand what I I really don't understand what Goldicott's what kind of skin does he have in this game? I think he's trying to. I mean, why does he care if 
Cardassia goes to war with a bunch of people in the dimension. My theory on that is that I think that Dukat, his problem was is My that... My problem is, is that you have to have a theory about it, and then it's not clear. Yeah, but I, it's you're right, but I think that it, Marco Limo works his best to make it clear. It's that he doesn't like being on the outs. Yeah. That Dukat likes to drive the ship, and he gets the feeling that there's some faction in Cardassia that is isolating him and marginalizing him, and that ultimately he knows that will end in his death, and that he wants to, if he can stop whatever shenanigans this is, then he he gets a chance to sort of retake that position. Yeah. And I think he's that, commander of the second order. He doesn't want to be passed on. Yeah. And they're throwing <laughs> him under the bus. Fuck those guys. He doesn't want to start a war because Cardassia doesn't have the resources to really go all out in a war with the Federation. Yeah, so that makes they sense. They want to not have a war. They want to just take advantage, fuck over the Federation. They want a Cold War that they can milk and yeah. keep a little bit lukewarm kind of war underneath it without the Federation coming after. To bring us into a politics, someone has marginalized Dukat. And instead of being Chris Christie to Donald Trump, he wants to be Ted Cruz. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. You know, so I think that if he just goes along with whoever's running the ship on these gun trades, then he's automatically cowed to whoever's charge of this. But if he stops it, then he gets to he gets to be the man alone who overpowers. You know, that. it is interesting though, because he is a proactive motherfucker. I would say. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah because yeah. if, oh, if, yeah. you're, if you're the, if you are the commander of the second order, isn't there somebody in the second order that can do all this legwork? No. <laughs> he truly only trusts himself. I think that's what that yeah, tells yeah. us. Uh-huh. I, think, I yeah. mean, I understand if he wields so much power, he's certainly doing a lot of legwork himself. You know, he's the one breaking into rooms and having to dig through file cabinets himself. <laughs> you know, yes. it seems a little bit, yeah. bit much. But I, I understand where he's coming from. Yeah. After the withdrawal from Bajor, his his position is a little bit tentative. Mm-hmm. And also, you're Cardassian. You're going to do as much of it on your own as you can because you know they're going to fucking... Anybody that you bring in is going to fuck you over first chance they get. Yeah. Especially if the state says to. Yeah, it, it's a part of the the corporate culture over there. Mm-hmm. And don't we eventually, don't we later get one of his little toadies? Oh. His key toady. Oh. I forget his name. I don't remember. Uh, Damar drinks Kanar. Yes, yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Who's yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 also great. Yeah, he's great, too. He's We spend just as much time with him as we do with Dakot. Oh, later. Yeah, 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 right. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you guys want to go over what we'd change or anything? Any final thoughts? Uh, before on we get there, then finally the last scene they get the the location of the depot. Cisco goes back to confront Cal and says, "You you got to go through me." And Cal says, "Oh, I'm sorry." But then they they have a big space battle, which is a pretty impressive space battle for Star Trek, where they're defending the place, and then everybody gets shot off, not killed, but has to run away. And then it's just Cal and the Latino politician, yes, plus <laughs> Ducat and Cisco, and then Cisco wins basically, and Ducat is like. Blow him up, kill a motherfucker, and Cisco's like, "God damn it, fuck you!" No, I'm not doing that. That is my friend. I won't kill somebody for defending their homes, which is admirable and also right, and also not a decision that Picard would have made because <laughs> he's a man of. He went against the Federation. He's, he's yeah, 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 and uh, yeah. 
the one thing we didn't even get to what we would change. Are we? Do we want to do that? I, I'll go last. Mine's pretty minor, but I have something pretty specific. So if you guys want to go ahead, go. Okay. Well, I will. What I'd change is because we're here. We're right here. I will borrow that. Iris Stephen Bear's original script had Cisco killing killing Cal Hudson. Really? Not because he because Cal pushed it into making Cisco. I think it was written as that he pushed it to make Cisco make a decision. And Michael Pillar made him take it out. And so, wait, whoa, 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 wait a minute here. Are you siding with Iris Stephen Bear? I am siding with C- Iris Stephen Bear. Wow. I'm siding with Iris Stephen Bear over Michael Pillar, who I like as a writer. Yeah, whoa. Yeah, Michael Pillar, according, the story is according to Iris Stephen Bear, so I don't know. <laughs> but uh, according to Iris Stephen Bear in the editing bay, when they were watching the episode, Michael Pillar told Iris Stephen Bear that he had forced them to make the wrong decision that it would have oh, after worked. they'd already shot it. And they were yeah. Yeah. It. Yeah. After it was in the can. So, um, if you were going to say they, ed- they fixed it in the edit, I was like, no. wow, that, yeah, no, 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 that would be impressive <laughs> because in the edit would have to have been like, he was running away. And then Cisco <laughs> he tried right, to shot him in the back. <laughs> Blam. You're dead. <laughs> oh, well, that's probably the right move to not do that. Yeah. If you think about it on a, on a bigger level, the problem, I mean, it doesn't have to be a problem. But I think it, the episode's stronger with Cisco making a definitive decision to side with the Federation and all of its faults against these people that would, through noble purposes and self-determination and fighting, I mean, through modeling themselves after the French Resistance, starting some shit that could unravel things. I mean, like, Bajor's fucked if everything's thrown back into war. Like, that, that, I mean, that affects so much. And that, to make Cisco make... That decision, I mean, it, it, even if it is ultimately the same decision that Picard would have made, but making it for different reasons, I would have liked to have seen him do that. See, I disagree with that. I, I'm going to say that you're wrong. I read Stephen Bear's a hack. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't mean that entirely. I'm just saying in this instance, because to me, what sets Cisco apart from Picard, especially in this, is that he leaves the chance for redemption over. He leses a chance for grace. Like, whoa, that's, whoa, 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 whoa! I'm not arguing that. I'm not. <laughs> no, no, I don't no. think the script. Well, no, I'm, I'm saying I'm not, I don't think the script. I think that the script put Cal in a position to where Cisco had to make the choice. Okay. Oh, like he keeps going through. And, yeah, and but says, in making yeah, instead yeah. of running away, he goes forward. Yes. I still like the I, I still like the setup even before Cisco. You know, he's like in the cot. It's like you should kill that guy, and he's like, no, um, <laughs> he's flying away. And it, like that's what sets him apart from Picard. He leaves forgiveness open for Cal, even up to the end, the very end of the episode. Whereas Picard is like, no, you betrayed what I asked you to do. I will court-martial you right now, Rolorn. You're dead to me if you go against me. Whereas Cisco is like, even at the end of the episode, the uniform is a big metaphor for him. Like, you can still come back. Just put the uniform back on. Please, we can fix this, okay? And Cal was like, you and your fucking uniforms. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I like that they leave it open. And then also, Cisco says to Dukat, I would never kill a man for defending its home. Uh-huh. I am still a Federation guy. I'm going to do what they ask me to do. I'm not saying I'm betraying the Federation. But you know what? If he comes back to the Federation, I'm going to let him come instead of court-martialing and throwing him in prison. And then Dukat, the one thing I would have changed for me, it's very minor. It's just when the hell they shot the episode. Dakota's like, you should kill him, blah, blah, blah. And then Cisco's like, no. And then they have a minor tussle where Cisco just not even getting out of his seat, just puts him back in his seat. <laughs> like, you know what? 
they should have gotten up and he should have forced them down like where they had to actually put some resistance against each other. Uh-huh. But that's all that's all blocking. There were some good shots in this. Like yeah. when they revealed the dead prisoner, they do a rack a zoom in on the dead body that was pretty good. What is the strength? Like, I spent some time after Goldicott punched the shit out of a woman, by the way. Twice. The, the, <laughs> yeah, like, punched the shit out of a woman, like a woman Vulcan. I was like, I always thought that Vulcans were a lot more strong, powerful than humans, right? So are Cardassians, That's maybe? That's the thing in the yeah, you're, Spock, are. you're using your Vulcan strength. Yeah, yeah, so, they are. But Cardassians are pretty strong, too. Right? Are, yeah, so, like, what is, like, I need to know, like, the bench chart on these i need to know what these guys bench like so is it is it ridiculous is it rid- he, he knocks the shit out the first thing to cut does twice is knock the shit out of the vulcan woman yeah does it in the caves and then he does it in in the planet in the jungles too I think. no he does when it they're trying to he does him. it when they kidnap him yeah when they're trying to and then him. he does it in the cave i assume i'm not getting on a cardassian transport yeah that was awesome yeah no and he punches her no but i was just wondering like can cisco take goldicott just like Good question I mean, it, part of me was like, yeah, Cisco's acting like a boss. Just like, nope, putting some in the seat like it's nothing. But you know what? There should have been a major tussle because emotions are strong. And the guy's like, no, you should kill him. And then Cisco's like, no. And he just throws him down. But he never even, he barely gets up from his seat. That's just bad. Yeah, it was definitely some 1994, like, murder she wrote type action. Yeah. TV show. Yeah, yeah. All right. That's all I had. And what's yours? Uh, real quick, I there was a lot of just cliched stuff, just typical cliche lines in this one that really just like stuck out. Mm-hmm. And I and there was a lot of them. What? Uh, right at the beginning where you had the conversation with uh, Dax and Kira, where they're just like, and what's that supposed to mean? I don't know. I hate it when people don't when say that as a line. <laughs> like, what's that supposed to mean? Yeah. And they kind of just leave it hanging there. I, uh-huh. <laughs> there was a few others like that, too. There's a lot between Cal and Cisco was sort of like old friend rehashing cliches. Like when they were writing it, the little paperclip came up and said, it seems like you're, you're writing a scene between two old friends. Yeah. Like that sort of thing. Yes, <laughs> that's exactly what it felt like in a lot of times. And even one point in the second episode, and maybe in the first, I don't know, Cal says it, the treaty is not written on the paper it's printed on. as like, if you're going to bring up a treaty, I'm sure you're going to end up talking about the worth of the paper is printed on. They don't have paper anymore. <laughs> <laughs> this is the future. Come on, guys. That was my point. It's like, here we are. We've, we've outstripped the cliches to the point where they don't even apply to the world in which they're set. So I, I just, and I knew that was going to come up at one point. So I'm like, oh, they're going to, talking about treaties, they're going to, Pretty soon, the worth of the paper's printed on is going to come up, and sure enough, it did. <laughs> I felt like this was this had more than the usual amount of like uh, shit, right? Cliche dialogue, and and it's just stuff that was like easily fi- like none of it was essential to the scenes. Mm-hmm. You know, you could have changed, you could have said the same thing differently without it's because if i'm going to say it's a reason why i think it, it's because it was committed to death yeah yeah i definitely like if you look like on that. both of these oh yeah there see yeah part of me wondered when this episode started is like oh wait a minute all these writers are these people that just came off of next generation that would jump and done in on the meta plot sort of yeah so that they're just setting up because it felt like there were so many names and this is a thing that felt like such a carryover from next generation and i was like Oh, next generation's finally done. Well, and all those guys just came on the next generation on the DS9 to carry on Rick Berman's meta plot that he set up in the writer's room. 
on that other show. Well, that's what I was about to say. This is the first time where you actually see, I think except since the pilot, where you actually see Rick Berman's name get a story credit on both of them. So him him and Michael Piller, I think, did the plotting for this episode. So you have the two big motherfuckers doing the plotting. And then along Jerry Taylor and James Crocker, who I think were in the writer's room this year, got that. And then James Crocker wrote the first episode and Iris Stephen Bear wrote the second episode. And I think the first episode is more cliche than the second. But that all fits in my whole theory about the Metaplot and why Cisco is better and why this <laughs> Rick Berman DS9 saves the Star Trek vision. Shut up, haters. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you want to, le- if you're going to create that mythos, that legend that you're trying to create, then the person that's standing at the wall and saying no more, Rick Berman, is Iris Stephen Bear, and I'm uncomfortable to accept that right now. But it may be, th- it may be true. I don't know. <laughs> you guys want to know? You guys want to take a stab at where the good folks of IMDb thought this uh, ranked? On the star meter? Oh, I'm, I'm 8.2. You're feeling eights? I feel high sevens. All right. 7.9-ish? I'm going to guess that for both. The Maquis Part 1 was 7.8 out of 10 at 579 votes, which is a pretty high number of votes. And uh, Part 2 is 7.9. Hmm. 572. Wow. I'm usually off on these. I figured Part 2 would be a little bit higher. Yeah. Yeah, that's a two. Satisfying. A tenth of, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. it's the best. I yeah, I love part. I like this. I love this. Like I, I you know, I don't know. I like I like both parts a lot, actually. Yeah, I don't know. I liked it a lot. I don't know how I want to rank. I mean, because it's not an individual piece. You can't like, right. like I can't go show like my buddy. Like, no, why do you got a dumb Star Trek podcast? No, the show's great. I won't show him this episode because you have to know a lot of particular bullshit to like make it work. But this is, I think, where the foundation work. For seasons four and five and six, yeah, yeah. Well, that's what done here. Space Nine is. It's not about one-off episodes. It's about like, mm-hmm. the yeah. whole arcs. That's a whole kind of premise of our show. This is this is sometimes shit is complicated. Arc television. This prestige TV. We we're talking about big stories, not just episodes of the week, yeah. Alien of the Week shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is pivotal. And then dealing with the meta plot of the whole franchise at this time is interesting to me, and I like to use it to argue in favor of. Maybe I've stretched it to the limit in this uh, podcast. Yeah, you're totally editing this. You know what? (laughs) That's good, though. You're you're getting your workout in. I I like it. Yeah. Well, we we did two episodes in this one, so that's why I feel okay going a little bit long. Yeah. Okay. I will say that next next week's episode is the Wire, which is a a top ten episode generally by everyone, right? Oh, I watched it. I watched it yesterday. It's pretty good. Okay, yeah. So this is uh, this is a big one. This is the top ten of the whole series. <laughs> uh, it is the you really stick your whole you go all in into Garrick in this next episode, right? All about Garrick, and you get the full story, or get most of the full story, or do you? That's what's or so do. great. Well, hey, we'll <laughs> save it for next week. It's the Red Hood. It's Garrick's Red Hood story. If you're, <laughs> totally. if you're a DC Comics fan. Oh man, right. are we done? I think that's it for this week. Three to beam out. Did you know that some Deep Space Nine podcasts have more reviews than us on iTunes? Doesn't that piss you off? Please review us on iTunes. We need to feel loved sometimes. Please follow us on Twitter at AcquisitionPod. 
and on Tumblr at the Rules of Acquisition Podcast.tumblr.com. Stick with me, guys. I have a theory. What if this show is really taking place in two different timelines? What if all the scenes with Jadzia Dax and Cisco are taking place in a current timeline, but in all of the scenes with her and the other cast members, she is reliving the lives of previous Daxes as they exist concurrently in a slightly divergent multiverse? But that doesn't make any sense at all, you say. I say, that is why one will never see it coming. It is so smart and layered. Don't you see it? I will link you to some Reddit essays that will hopefully open your eyes.